freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches its critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. The network's website, republicbroadcasting.org. Today is Saturday, March 21st, 2015. This show is live every Saturday evening from 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. That's 9 p.m. to midnight Central Time. We have a great show lined up for you here tonight. Tonight on What on Earth is Happening, I'm going to be continuing my presentation entitled The True Meaning and Purpose of the Second Amendment. Part two of this presentation coming up tonight live on the air. I gave part one a couple of weeks back. Last week, I was unable to broadcast the show live. I had a commitment uh, with some of the organizers for the Free Your Mind 3 conference, which is rapidly coming up three weeks away, less than three weeks now, and it is going to be a phenomenal event. So um, tonight, I'm going to give the part two of the Second Amendment presentation. Hopefully, this will be the final part. We'll see how it goes. It might extend into a, into a third session, but I don't think so. Um, more likely than not, I'll conclude it on the air tonight, and then I'll take your calls if there's time in hour number three. For uh, the first part, I know uh, we didn't have any time to take calls, but I'll try to uh, leave some time to take some calls in the third hour, so I'll give the call-in number right now. The call-in number to join us. 800-313-9443. Once again, the call-in number to join us here on What on Earth is Happening, 800-313-9443. A couple of quick event announcements, of course, starting right off the huge event coming up on the East Coast just outside of Philadelphia, the Free Your Mind 3 Conference, April 10th, 11th, and 12th, 2015. That's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, April 10th, 11th, and 12th at the Sheraton Bucks County Hotel at 400 North Oxford Valley Road in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. 
I've been informed that uh, already the rooms that have been reserved for people uh, coming there for the For Your Mind 3 conference are already all taken, but I know that there's an, an alternative hotel that is actually being recommended by the conference organizers. You could check that out on the website. The speakers lined up for the Free Your Mind 3 conference, Bob Tuscan, Clint Richardson, Curtis the Illuminated One Davis, Dennis McKenna, Derek Brose, the New Jersey Weed Man Ed Fortune, Freighter X, Freeman, Fritz Springmeyer, Jay Parker, Janice Barcello, John Bush, John Mitchell and Bonnie Mitchell, John Vibes, Josie the Outlaw Wales, Laura Eisenhower, Lennon Honor, Mark Devlin, myself Mark Passio, Ross Ben, Steve Stars, Stuart Swerdlow, an alternative media panel featuring Luke Rudkowski of We Are Change, the Free Thought Project, and the Anti Media. Uh, a meeting of the minds, a speaker panel discussion with whatever speakers want to participate in it from the conference, and uh, open mic night sessions where people from the audience can get up there and, and voice uh, their opinions about whatever topics they feel are vital and of interest. Uh, also, there will be a movie showing uh, on, I believe, Friday evening of Dan Fogler's Don Peyote, which is a great film about, in general, conspiracy theory culture or just, you know, the culture of, uh, you know, open-mindedness and trying to understand what's really going on out there in our world. So uh, that's going to be on Friday evening. An all-weekend pass for this great event, only $150. It's going to be the biggest conference of its kind, certainly on the East Coast, probably in the whole country in the year of, two, in the year of 2015. For more information on this incredible event, please visit the conference website at freeyourmindconference.com and get your tickets today. I do still have a few What on Earth is Happening uh, promotional t-shirts. They are almost completely gone, but I have I, I think I have uh, three or four left. I, I, I found a couple of extras that I had set aside um, uh, for um, like the documentary screenings that we had been usually doing, and I had been bringing them there, but it's, it's, it's very few left. I think I have two mediums left and two double extra larges left, so if people want them in those particular sizes, that's all I have left of this original printing of this promotional t-shirt. Uh, if you want to receive one of those shirts as a uh, gift in return for a voluntary donation, you can click the email link that is listed in the news article at the top of the news section regarding these promotional t-shirts. Uh, that link is also listed on the left-hand side under the latest news items, but I'll probably be taking it down or at least modifying it soon uh, to include a new uh, promotional t-shirt design that I'll be debuting at the Free Your Mind 3 conference, which is a phenomenal design, uh, which is a new take on the uh, kind of logo or sigil or whatever you want to call it that I made up uh, regarding the one great work of truth, love, and freedom. So uh, that's the only hint I'll give about that shirt design, but I'll be debuting that at the Free Your Mind 3 conference, and then I'll also be offering it uh, on the conf on the whatonearthishappening.com website. There is also a donation button on the left-hand side of the whatonearthishappening.com website. If you feel that you've received value from the information that I've shared on both the radio show and my website, please feel free to make a voluntary donation to help support my work so that I can continue it into the future.
Speaking of donations, RBN is currently holding a donation drive. It costs a whole lot of money to host a network like this, folks. A lot of bandwidth costs involved. A lot of other uh, promotional costs are involved. And, uh, you know, um, uh, please, if you're in a position to do so, help out the network. You can make a donation via PayPal at republicbroadcasting.org. Just click the donation tab. Uh, you could also make a donation, a pledge by phone, toll free. You can call the number 800 724 2719. Once again, to donate to RBN via phone, make a pledge to donate, uh, toll free number 800 724 2719. You could also uh, mail a check uh, to um, 2251 Double Creek Drive, Suite 302, Round Rock, Texas, 78664. Um, So please do help out uh, the network with a donation if you're in a position to do so. You could find more information about that by clicking the donation tab at republicbroadcasting.org. So I want to direct everyone's attention to the whatonearthishappening.com radio show page. If you're not already listening from there, there underneath the player on that page, you will see images for today's show. And underneath that, you will see um, the Second Amendment presentation slides. These are the uh, numbers that you can click on to bring up the slides that I'll be talking about with the presentation I'll be giving live on the air tonight. Um <clears throat> This is podcast number 189. If you're listening by podcast, the images are, are of course, posted with the podcast. A good way to uh, do this is to download the zip archive, which is also included there. Unpack that on your computer, and all the slides will be right there in a folder for you, and you could follow along that way locally right on your own computer. It's probably the easiest way to do it. Last week on the show, I left off on slide number 25. That was the last slide we looked into. This was under the section that starts with slide number 24, uh, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Now, we were breaking this down uh, phrase by phrase, I guess you could say, uh, in the Second Amendment and breaking down largely each word that's contained in the 27 words of the Second Amendment. We left off by talking about, you know, what is the right of the people to keep and bear arms? And uh, I started that section by defining what arms are. And that's on slide number 25, which is where I'll pick up from today. Uh, The definition of arms, as any decent dictionary will give, is weapons and ammunition of any kind. And this is a common sense definition. When we think of arms, okay, aside from the arms which we have on our bodies, at least most people, okay, the, the, the general population that doesn't have any sort of disabilities, okay, um, these are potential weapons. Our arms and legs are potential weapons. Okay, this is the first and foremost form of arms, the ability to just conduct force by hand-to-hand combat if necessary, okay? But Arms are defined as anything that could potentially be used as a weapon. The microphone stand that's holding my microphone up right now has a nice, strong, solid metal base. And if I needed to defend myself with that microphone stand, it would definitely provide that purpose. So therefore, you can consider that arms if I were to use it in that form of defensive capacity. But arms are weapons and ammunition projectiles, etc., of any kind that you can think of that can be employed for defensive purposes. 
So that includes clubs, sticks, hammers, knives, hatchets, and axes. Of course, firearms, bows and arrows, anything that could, you know, fire any kind of a projectile weapon. This is pretty simple and common sense, a common sense definition. This is where we left off on last time. And the founders in the Second Amendment, when they wrote, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, this is exactly what they meant by arms. It did not just mean firearms. It meant any form of weaponry that can be used defensively in the defense of one's life, freedom, or property. So I think that's about as clear as I can make that. If people still don't understand that, I don't really know what to, how to further elaborate on that. It's a simple definition, and people want to turn it into something more complex than that. The founders actually capitalized the A in arms to make it clearly understandable that this meant, you know, the any of the broad range of kinds of technologies that could possibly be used for self-defense. So moving on to slide number 26, when we are talking about here the right of the people to keep and bear arms, sadly, I do need to define what a right is for most people. I know the listeners of this show probably deeply understand this by now, but, um, you know, we can't hurt to re-elaborate this. Uh, you know, repetition makes things sink in more deeply. So we're, we have to look at what a right actually is. This is probably the biggest problem in the world, folks, is that the vast majority of people on this planet still, unfortunately, do not know what a right is. And they certainly don't know what the definitive, objective difference inherently in nature is between right and wrong behavior. It's absolutely profoundly sad to have to speak those words. Unfortunately, that is true nonetheless. So, this is where I delve into, you know, a little bit of a rehash from my natural law seminars and my material on natural law from my former podcast. If you aren't familiar with that and you're maybe you're a new listener, you definitely need to go back and check out that work because it is absolutely seminal to what we talk about here on what on earth is happening and it's absolutely the most critical information really to understand. So um, just to reiterate a little bit from my natural law material, the difference between right and wrong is actually inherent right in the words. We say the word right and correct, meaning both moral and true, meaning uh, correct based in truth. These two words are usually used interchangeably because if something is based in truth, um, we are going to find that if we act upon it, we, our actions will be in alignment with morality. So if something is right, that means both that it is correct, meaning it is based in truth, and that it is moral, meaning that it is in harmony with the laws of morality. It is in harmony with natural law. Okay, so that this means that actions that are based in that which is right do not result in harm to other sentient beings. That is the basic definition of a right. A right is an action that we are capable of taking that does not cause harm to another sentient being. That is what a right is. And we're not talking about animals or lower life forms when we're talking about rights. We're talking about beings, once again, I've reiterated this on past shows and try to make this clear. Natural law applies to beings with the capacity for holistic intelligence, which I equate 
with the capacity to have within your own mind the understanding of the objective difference between right and wrong. Once we have that capacity to understand that, that means we are beings with the capacity for true intelligence, holistic intelligence, meaning both the intellect and the creative capacities, the intuitive capacities, the nurturing capacities. Intelligence is not just intellect, as I've said many, many times on this show. It is intellect combined with the right mind. The left mind is the intellect, the right mind or right side of the brain is the creative and moral uh, capacities within the human being. So how does this contrast with wrong behavior or wrongdoings? Wrong, we say the word when we say it's incorrect, you're wrong about that, meaning it's not based in truth. And we use the same word wrong when we say that something is immoral, meaning that it's in opposition to natural law because actions that are taken that are wrong, um, they result in harm to other sentient beings. So that's the opposite of a definition of a right. If an action causes harm to other beings, other sentient beings, then that is a wrongdoing. And we talked about in the natural law material what the basic wrongdoings are. The basic wrongdoings are theft, uh, murder, assault, theft, trespass, and coercion. Okay, so we're talking about things that are some form of theft. We're taking something that is not rightfully ours to take from another being, that is their property, that we don't have the right to take from them, like life or freedom or property. So this is the basic difference between right and wrong, and that's what a right is. Therefore, if we look at the right to keep and bear arms, that means we have a right to keep the defensive ability to protect our lives, our freedom, and our property when they are under assault or they are, or we are confronted with coercion or threat of violence. That is an inherent human right that cannot be taken away by any other being. It exists inherently in nature. This is the other thing people need to understand is that rights are not constructs that are invented by human beings. You hear this argument ad infinitum by people who are moral relativists, who don't think that rights are something that exists independently and objectively, inherently in nature. An action is based in nature. It exists in the real world. It's not something that exists in your mind. A right is an action. Therefore, it exists in nature. We have to get that straight, people. We'll pick this up on the other side of this break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. I'm giving part two of my true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment presentation live on the air this evening, and we are getting ready to move on to slide number 27. We're talking about what rights are, the difference between 
right and wrong behavior, the objective difference that exists in nature inherently, because these are actions, and actions create something in nature. They exist in nature. They are not something that just exists constructurally in the human mind. An argument that you hear far too often from people that think that rights aren't something that are objective and inherent in nature. Well, rights are actions, folks. And that means they affect other beings, other than the one who takes the action. Therefore, they exist in nature. That has to be really understood deeply. That's why they're objective. They're not open to interpretation and they're not something that we just get to decide on a whim. That's called moral relativism. The people who believe that that's the case. That we could just decide what rights are or not. You know, if something causes harm to another being, that's not a right. It's a wrongdoing. It's a transgression against moral law. That which does not cause harm to other beings are reserved as rights. Those actions are reserved as rights. That means the ownership of firearms and self-defense against incursions of violence are inherent rights that can never be granted by man in any way nor taken away by man in any way. Moving to slide number 27 now, this is the second part of this natural law uh, aspect of this presentation. This is the section on natural law, which I refer to as the two pillars. I call this the two pillars of enlightenment. This is what real spirituality must include. And you can never remove either of these two basic tenets or principles or pillars, the foundational pillars, um, from the equation. Otherwise, you don't have real enlightenment and you do not have a grasp or a, a true deep understanding of what natural law means. So, of course, the first principle is the sacred feminine principle, as I refer to it. But most people simply call this the non-aggression principle, which is very simple. Do not harm your other fellow beings, period. That's it. Don't go out and cause harm to others. Very simple. Don't take actions which are wrongdoings, which are transgressions against moral law. That's the sacred feminine or non-aggression principle. And this must, must, must be combined with the sacred masculine principle. That's what the chemical wedding is all about. This is a marriage between the, the sacred masculine and sacred feminine principles. Without that, natural law does not stand. It falls apart. The, the philosophical foundations of freedom fall apart without both of these principles included. And of course, the second pillar or tenet of this philosophy is the sacred masculine principle, which is what I refer to it as. But most people would simply refer to this as the self-defense principle. This means when you are confronted or accosted with violent behavior on the part of someone else, coercing you, threatening you, threatening your life, your freedom, or your property, you have the right inherently to defend yourself with the appropriate usage of force, up to and including deadly force, should your life be threatened. This is an inherent right of all people, cannot be granted by man, cannot be taken away by man. 
And sadly, too few people don't think that this is an essential right or too few people don't understand this principle because they're too right-brained. And they think somehow the state has rightfully garnered some sort of a monopoly on the usage of force. And therefore, we don't maintain the right of self-defensive force when we are being accosted by coercion or violence. The sacred masculine self-defense principle is essential to understanding human freedom. If you don't understand it, you still have the mindset of a slave. And this is why this is left out of all teachings of enlightenment, all teachings of higher consciousness, by the traditional teachers of it. The New Age movement trying to sell you enlightenment without the sacred masculine principle. That's like giving somebody half of the equations of physics and saying, well, you don't need to know all the rest. You know, don't worry about those. You know, that's like teaching addition and subtraction and saying, hey, forget about multiplication and division. You know, we'll leave those on the back burner. You don't need to know anything about those. Yeah, good luck with that. Let me know how your further understanding down the road works out. We'll pick this up on the other side of this break, folks. You're listening to part two of my presentation, The True Meaning and Purpose of the Second Amendment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. Moving right along with the true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment presentation, part two this evening. Um, Let's move on to slide number 28. The next part of this equation that I'm going to attempt to define clearly is the word to keep. The phrase to keep, okay? So, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. What does keep mean? Okay, it, it has to do with ownership. It has to do with the p- possession of something. So, if you look up in a semi-decent dictionary what the word keep means, it'll tell you it's a verb and it means to have, to own, or to retain possession of something. Very simple definition. Unfortunately, most people don't understand it, and too, too, far too many people don't think there's any such thing as ownership. This is part of this new age brainwashing. It's part of the new religion of the world. It's part of the whole right-brained imbalance of the sacred feminine without the sacred masculine. And it's becoming far too prevalent, and it's a very, very, very dangerous ideology. There is such a thing as ownership inherently in nature. Because if I am using something in nature, that is my possession. If I have rightfully acquired it, if I am using it actively and I'm controlling and responsible for its usage, then by all means, by all definitions, I am the owner of that piece of property, that thing. Now, you can't ever own another being, another person, 
but a an inanimate object I can own. Okay? I own the firearms that I own. I own the computers that I own. They are mine. There's a reason you would say that they are mine. This computer doesn't belong to anyone else that I'm speaking to you through the usage of. There's a reason for that. My stuff is on it. I'm using it. No one could just come along and take that. That would be called theft. Even in a society where we did away with money, which I'm all for, I am all for doing away with the constructural idea of money, which is a limiter to access of, of energy within a system. And that's all it's ever there for. It's a means of controlling people. That doesn't mean there would not be such a thing as ownership. Ownership would not go away in a totally moneyless society where we stopped using a medium of exchange that could be exploited and turned into a completely have and have not system, which is what we have now with 1% of people controlling over 50% of all wealth in the world. And that's a conservative estimate. To keep means to have, own, or retain possession of. And, it, you know, the right brainers among us, the total new agers out there, want to make the argument that, oh, you think you could own something forever. Whoever used the term or the word forever, you're not going to own anything forever. That doesn't mean ownership doesn't exist while you are in existence, in this life, in this dimension, in 3D reality, using something. Of course I'm not going to own my body forever because I'm going to die. My body's going to die one day. My consciousness will relinquish this body and it will no longer own it. Well, that doesn't mean I don't own it now. Okay, so people want to make these ridiculous arguments about the non-existence of ownership because it's not for eternity. Nothing's for eternity, folks, except consciousness and existence itself. So get over this. This right brain notion about there being no such thing as ownership. Not only is it a completely naive thing, you're just completely wrong about it. You don't know what you're talking about if that's what you think. You're in complete right brain religious imbalance. And that religious imbalance is called the religion of the new age movement. And there's nothing new about it. It's a very, very old deception. And it's still running like a program very strongly in our world today. To own something means that regarding that thing, an individual maintains rightful possession of that object, meaning you didn't steal it from someone else or coerce someone to give it to you. The control over its usage, meaning you're using it, and the responsibility for its usage. Meaning if you use it improperly and harm somebody with it, you have to be held accountable for it. You're the maintainer of it. You maintain the responsibility for how it is used and its upkeep. These are the reasons I own a firearm. I am the rightful owner of it. I acquired it rightfully. I control its usage and I maintain responsibility for it. The same could be said for a car, a house, a set of clothing, uh, technology, you know, a hard drive, a computer, a cell phone, a desk, whatever, any physical object. If it's mine, these are, this is why it's mine. I rightfully possess it, I control its usage, and I'm responsible for it, period. So clearly try to understand that, folks. This is what it means to own something, to keep it. 
That's why we're losing our freedom, folks, because too few people understand ownership of their freedom. That's why it's be, the, the, our freedoms are being taken unlawfully, unrightfully from us. Moving to slide number 29 now. Continuing with the concept of ownership and directly related to that concept is uh, a quote by James Berg who wrote uh, a uh, a book called The Ideological Origins of the Second Amendment. And in that he said, the possession of arms is the distinction between a free man and a slave. It being the ultimate means by which freedom was to be preserved. I mean, truer words were never spoken. You know, the problem is we don't have people of this type of a thought process today in large enough numbers. That's the difference between somebody being free and being a slave. Slaves are disarmed. Slaves aren't allowed to own the ability to defend their freedom for the very reason that they are considered slaves by their masters and owners. And anybody who's been disarmed has been made a slave by those who have disarmed them. Make no mistake about it. And if you don't understand that, you don't understand freedom. If you don't know that definitively, the possession of arms is the distinction between a free man and a slave. Because that's how your freedom is preserved when and if, if and when it comes under attack by people who would think themselves your master, your owner. And no one, no one that does not understand that could say that they're a real man or a real woman. They're not an, inauth- uh, they're not an authentic being. They're an inauthentic being. They're a person in the mindset of a slave. And they don't know what true freedom is, not even a little bit. Moving on to slide number 30. Again, continuing with the concept of natural law, how this goes along with rights. The right of people everywhere to keep and bear arms for defensive purposes. We have to understand equality in rights. That there's nobody that has any more or less rights than anybody else. Everyone has the exact same rights. No one has any more rights than anyone else. No one has any less rights than anyone else. Because rights are the same thing. Actions that do not cause harm to another being. People want to turn this into all kinds of shades of gray when it is not. It is black and white. Did it cause harm to another being? Well, then it's a wrongdoing. Did it not cause harm to another being? Well, then it's a right. It is that black and white. It is that simple. People want to try to, you know, overly complexify everything. Because they they can't think along simple lines of morality. And this is largely because they're not truly moral beings. They want to come up with the exceptions to everything. They want to find the last little minutia of an exception to the Well, what in this situation, if this happened and then that happened and then that happened, like, you know what? Forget all of this. You're, you're making things too complicated. Did you take an action and it resulted in harm to another being when you had no right to do that? That's it. That's it. Did you deliberately take an action and it's, of your own free will? 
whether you're told to do it or not, no matter why you thought it was okay to do, and you didn't have any moral right to take that action and it results in harm to another being, well, guess what? That's not a right. You just committed a wrongdoing. I mean, people have to stop trying to overly complexify everything and just get down to basic understandings of things. It's not that complicated, folks. Since rights are not created by humanity because they exist objectively and inherently in nature, and this is by right by way of them being actions, as I have already explained. That is why rights exist objectively and inherently in nature, because they are actions, and actions exist in nature. No human being or group of human beings is actually ever capable of granting rights to anyone else, nor is any human being capable of revoking rights from anyone else. I would say no being, period, whether they're human or not. Rights exist in creation. The creator of the universe... The creative force in the universe, existence itself, however you want to word it, that is how rights have come into being. They are built into the very fabric of existence, and therefore they're my birthright as a being within the universe, within nature. That means they're my possession. It's my ownership. I, I have ownership of my rights. Who else could own my rights? If my rights are actions that I may take, who else could possibly own them? See, this is why people don't want to understand the ownership of rights, because they don't want the associated responsibility that goes along with that ownership. That's the crux of the issue of people not understanding what rights are. Therein lies the problem. People don't want that associated responsibility. Moving on to slide number 31. So, so the, I'm sorry, let's just go back to 30 for one second. This is, you know, deeply, deeply interwoven into the whole concept of the right to keep and bear arms. We have to understand everybody has this, this right. It's not just for some. It is for all beings. All beings with the capacity for holistic intelligence possess the right to defend themselves from violence. It is a universal inherent right of all people everywhere and everyone shares that right equally. Moving on to slide 31. Continuing with the concept of self-defense. This right that is inherent to all people everywhere, no matter where they are, no matter what time period, no matter what geographic region, we're defining now as an, another part of the Second Amendment the right to keep and bear arms. So now what does the word bear represent or mean in the wording of the Second Amendment? You look up the verb to bear in any decent dictionary and it's just a very simple definition that will be given by almost all dictionaries. To bear something means to carry it. That's it. To take it from one place to another. To carry on one's person. That's it. That's all it means. It does not mean to brandish, to wield, or anything like that. Some people get those confused. To bear arms means to carry them on your person. That's it. Very, very simple definition. 
So now, let's look at that definition. If I place my handgun on my hip, cover it up with my shirt, and walk around with it like that, not harming any other being, of course that is a right, because it does not cause harm to other beings. So then, if no one, if rights are equal for all people everywhere, how can anyone grant someone the right to bear arms, to carry arms in a defensive capacity? No one can. If I use that firearm in an unlawful way, in a way that was contradicting natural law or moral law by harming someone with it when I had no right to do so, then of course I would have to be held accountable for that. But we have these things in almost all states called concealed carry licenses where the state thinks they can grant or refuse to grant the right to bear arms, to carry arms on our person wherever we happen to go. Saying, we will determine whether or not you have that right. Completely contradictory to natural law. Thinking that some people have the right to grant or refuse to grant rights which already exist. That's like me telling someone, you, have, you don't have the right to use a computer. You don't have the right to read books. You don't have the right to use a fork or a knife. I mean, it's ridiculous. And yet, there are still complete idiots out there who think that this is some type of a privilege. Just the, They're the same people who think driving in a car is a privilege. I don't care what legal terminology you want to get into, the whole maritime thing. I understand all the, the distinctions people make in legal language versus lawful language. Whatever. It's all a fiction anyway, folks, made up by people who are psychopathic people who think they're God and just want to control you. It's all Ill illegitimate. It's all an illusion. Only the mind buying in and any, any of that crap makes it real. It's the same thing with this. No one can grant somebody the right to travel. No one can grant someone the right to protect themselves with any kind of arms. If I wanted to walk around with a bow and arrow on my back, that's my right. Because somebody telling you, I'm going to disarm you, is that person saying, I'm your master and owner, and you're my slave. And if you don't know that, you don't understand what freedom is. You haven't understood it yet. If I want to walk around with a big caveman club, that's my right. I start threatening people with it, that's not my right. Same thing with a gun. I want to walk around with an AK all day or an AR-15 or a 308. This is the reason we're in a society where there's, there's so much violence by other people. Because an armed society is a polite society. A society where every person would be armed and carrying weaponry. Guaranteed, folks, you wouldn't see a lot of physical violence in that society. I absolutely guarantee it. You'd see how polite people would get real fast to each other. How much sudden mutual respect would be given and received. We'll pick this up on the other side of this break, folks. Stay with us. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Republic Broadcasting. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. So we were talking about the inability of anybody to grant or refuse to, quote, grant a right which already exists. And this includes owning firearms and this includes carrying firearms. You know, there's a couple of people who are starting to understand this who are even involved in like state legislatures. And I think, I'm not sure whether it was Texas, but it might be, where um, a state uh, senator or, or uh, house representative in a state legislature has put forward a bill to try to revoke um, concealed carry licensing because he's recognized that this is an inherent human right. Um, perhaps I'll try to post a link to this uh, article or articles about this, um, you know, if I could find it. But uh, I know I read an article dealing with this and uh, thought it was an encouraging sign. You know, there's a lot of state legislatures out there that have uh, passed uh, Second Amendment Protection Acts, and I think that's also an encouraging sign. I mean, again, I'm not a statist, you know, these are words on paper. However, at least it's an encouraging sign that people are understanding at least philosophically, that the right to keep and bear arms needs to be defended. So um, I'll I'll be talking about this a little bit more next week, uh, some of the states that have come forward with uh, legislation or passed legislation uh, that is about um, nullifying any of the federal government's attempts to um, conduct any uh, gun control measures whatsoever because they are completely unconstitutional and they are against natural rights, period. So um, I think I'll leave slide 31 at that. I think it's pretty clearly explained. And let's move on to the next section, which is the last uh, phrase within the Second Amendment. The phrase shall not be infringed. I would hope I do not have to explain shall not be. It means you don't do it (laughs) for, you know, those who might require an explanation of that. It means you never do it in perpetuity. It is not ever to be done. Okay, real simple. But um, a lot of people have the hardest time in the understanding of the Second Amendment, unfortunately, with the word infringed. They don't seem to understand what this word means. Perhaps they've never looked it up. You know, perhaps their English grade school teachers just never got into that term with them. You know, they never, they never, you know, looked that up in their spelling book. Okay, and then looked up the definition. Well, An infringement is very simple. That was slide 32. Moving to slide 33 where I explain what an infringement is. An infringement is a measure or an action that limits upon something else or encroaches upon something. To limit or encroach is what infringement is. To act. You look up the word infringe in any decent dictionary and it will tell you it means to act so as to limit or undermine. To encroach upon. And we'll continue with that concept on the other side of this break, folks, at the top of the second hour. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on RBN. Don't go anywhere.
cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a code of silence and it can't go on. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. We're into the second hour of the broadcast this evening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We were talking about what is infringement when in the Second Amendment it says the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. What does the word infringed mean? To infringe as you will find in any dictionary. It is a verb, and it means to act so as to limit or undermine something, to encroach upon something. That means encroachment. Now, people might want to know, you know, what, what does the word encroach mean? You look up the word encroach, and it means to advance gradually beyond usual or acceptable limits. To advance gradually beyond the usual perception, beyond acceptable limits. That's what encroachment means. This is the concept of incrementalism, of the stepwise progression to gradually get to where you want to go by advancing very slowly so it's unnoticeable. You're encroaching upon it slowly. You're gradually eroding it. This is called incrementalism. And this is what all tyrants do. This is what smart tyrants do, I should say. Because someone who wants to make a quick power grab is going to be immediately recognized for the tyrant that they are. They're going to try to take too much too fast. And then people who care at all about freedom, even a little bit, will say, wow, we don't want to accept this. You know, yesterday we had this freedom, today it's gone. That's tyranny. That's a total infringement upon our rights. They would understand what was going on. But if you do it very incrementally in slow, gradual, stepwise progressions, most people never see it happening. The whole concept of the pot... Uh, with the frog, and you boil the water, you bo- you put the uh, frog in the pot when the water temperature is just fine. You know, it's not hot at all, it's nice and comfortable for the frog, and then you turn it up very slowly. And it'll stay in there. If you put it in a pot of very hot water, it would jump right out. This is what incrementalism is. Gradually making changes that lead to tyranny. That's why registration of firearms is always proposed. The ba- universal background checks, gun permits, gun registration. I mean, we already have in certain states where people need permits to buy guns, to own. That's a complete unconstitutional enactment. I mean, you know, people should be seeing red flags all over the place if your state has any kind of a law that says you need a permit by government to own a firearm of any kind. Of any kind. 
Once they start instituting incrementalist measures like that, you can guarantee right around the corner is going to be confiscation of firearms. And they haven't tried this in states right now, but they've done it during national disasters, during natural disasters, like in Katrina. National Guard troops were going door-to-door confiscating weaponry. And, you know, what I think about that is people should not have turned one thing over to them, even if it meant coming to deadly force being used. Any, you know, anybody that submits to that is submitting to slavery. I don't care what their circumstances are. You let yourself be disarmed, you might as well accept your chains right then and there. They'll use any excuse that they can get their hands on. These incrementalists, these Fabian socialists, because that's what they are. They're neo-Marxists, they're communists, they're Fabian socialists. The incrementalists, see that's how they think they're going to push socialism and eventually communism into society. And you know, the Nazis are no different. What do you think, that's any different? It's called National Socialism. That's what NSDAP stood for. National Socialista Deutsche Arbeiterpartei. The National Socialist German Workers Party. That was the Nazi party. They were socialists. People want to think, oh, all these, these regimes are so different. Maoists, you know, the communist Maoists were so different from the Nazis. Oh, the Maoists were extreme left-wing. The Nazis were extreme right-wing. You know what, folks? They all meet at the, at the wingtips, which is called 100% totalitarianism. Death camps, secret police, total ownership of property by the state, total ownership of the people by the state, slavery. You think it's any different? You're buying into semantics and in word games and language. It's all the same measures that they enact. Same actions that they take. Anybody that thinks they're anything different has no long view of history and absolutely no understanding of what totalitarian regimes are. None. Oh, Stalin's Soviet Union was so drastically different than Mao's China and Hitler's, Hitler's Germany, don't you know? So drastically different than the form of incremental socialism and incremental fascism that's being brought into the United States. Because these two seemingly opposite wings of totalitarianism said, hey, we haven't been able to take down the United States from without. Let's join, let's shake hands Conquer them from the inside incrementally so they don't understand what's happening because their people are asleep at the switch. And we'll sort out the spoils of, of ideological warfare, political warfare, on the other side when we have the country in our grasp. And if you don't understand that's what happened, you're a naive child. And you have no long view of history at all. The Fabian Society's logo, the Fabian Society's very logo, their shield, is a black wolf in in a sheep's clothing, in, in sheep's dress, a dead sheep skinned over top of the black wolf. 
I mean, they're telling you out in the open. We're coming in as a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing to conquer you incrementally. We, we don't even need to come with weapons of war. We're going to come with an incrementalist ideology so that you never know what happened. This is what Nikita Khrushchev told Americans. He said, we're going to bury you, but we don't need to do it with, with war, weapons of war, weapons of mass destruction. We're going to do it ideologically, incrementally, and your children are going to wake up one day in a communist country. We're going to turn the United States into a communist country over a long plan. This was the plan of Antonio Gramsci, the Italian fascist slash communist, whatever you want to call him. You know, people think there's such different ideologies. He was a Marxist. You know, people will call him a socialist, a uh, communist, but it's the same basic thing. It's just a minor difference in how you get there, whether you're going to do it through the corporation or the state. Now we have a mixture in the United States. I call it the communo-fascist regime or the fascio-communist regime. It doesn't make a difference. It's just a label. The result, the end result is the same, folks. Gramsci had the whole idea a physical hot revolution toward communism is not going to work. We tried it with the Bolshevik revolution toward the, you know, and it didn't work out the way we exactly planned. So we want to do this through incrementalism. And he called this the long cultural march through the institutions. The long march through the cultural institutions. That means you have to take over the school system. That means you have to take over the media. That means you have to take over local government. You have to get into the minds of people. You have to corrupt morality. You have to get people to worry about frivolous things. Distract their attention. Culturally bankrupt them. Morally bankrupt them. And then they're ready for conquer. You just walk in. That's what Fabian socialism is, folks. It was named after Fabius, an emperor who just went and took places that he had already ideologically decimated. And the population was weak, worn out, and he just walked in with his troops. Then they, and they offered little to no resistance. That's what's going on in the United States right now. It's why people got to wake up and start understanding what their rights are and start defending them. That's what incrementalism is, folks. That's what it means to infringe upon something, to take it over incrementally. And that's the plan of these socialists. Whether they're the left-wing variety or the right-wing variety, their plan is the same. Speaking about the dangers of infringement or disarmament, the very author of the Second Amendment, George Mason, who I would say had even more to do with the writing of the Second Amendment, even than the co-author James Madison, in my opinion, after studying it a little bit, I think Mason really was the person who insisted on this. Um, he wrote about infringement being the road to enslave people. And this quote by him explains that perfectly. Quote, to disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. George Mason, the co-author of the Second Amendment. I mean, it's right there. I mean, you, you can't be any less ambiguous about how this founder thought. To disarm the people is the best and most effectual way to enslave them. 
telling people once again, a disarmed person is a slave. An armed person is a free being. Founding Father Thomas Jefferson, third president of the United States, slide number 35 now, said, The strongest reason for people to retain the right to keep and bear arms is, as a last resort, to protect themselves against tyranny in government. Now this associates directly with the idea that the Second Amendment is about defense from tyranny from government. And people want to say it's about hunting rights, it's about sport, it's about target practice, it's about just home defense or defense against individuals on the street. Bunk. Bunk. The Second Amendment was about defense against government tyranny. And all the people who want to make the other nonsensical argument that small arms wouldn't provide much of a defense against government tyranny in the modern day, you don't know what you're talking about either. If it wasn't going to be so effectual, small arms, which is what all governments fear their people being armed with, because that's what a militia comprises, and a militia is distributed throughout the population when it is properly composed, no government or standing army is ultimately going to stand up against that kind of force. Because it's, as I said last week, it's death by a million bee stings. There'd be so many people coming at them, they wouldn't be able to defend against something like that. And it would be from all places, not just one place, not just a place where an army had set up, a standing army had set up. They would never have the ability or resources to defend against something like that from the entire population if that force were distributed throughout it. And Jefferson is saying as much right here. And he uses the term as a last resort, which I also agree with. I don't think people should be quick to just jump into warfare. I've never said that. Okay? However, when reason fails and people are determined to conduct violence, as a last resort, there is the right of self-defense. It should not be entered upon frivolously. But you know what, folks? We're at a place where that time is coming. And once again, my work here from the very beginning has been to try to avert that time. I don't, I don't know if, if my efforts have been effectual enough or if, another pe- if enough people have truly received the message philosophically. That's what happened during the first American Revolution. That's why we had to go that route. And sadly, I think, maybe not right away, but the time is coming soon where we may have to go that route again. And it's going to be extraordinarily bad when it happens because the technology is so much more deadly than it was back during the first revolution 230 years ago that we're going to see the world, if it comes to that, is going to see bloodshed the likes of which the world has never witnessed before in human history. And I really don't want to see it come to that, which is why I teach morality which is really the only thing that could stop it from coming to that. But let me tell you something, folks. If you don't recognize that there's enough people in this country who still do 
respect the, the very concept of freedom and aren't going to let that go easily. And they are going to physically fight the tyranny that they are encountered with. You're also very naive if you think that isn't going to happen. If these thug Nazi pigs and communist pigs try to keep coming and encroaching upon our rights. You'd be a very naive person to think there aren't enough people who still have enough respect for human freedom that will physically battle against that that kind of tyranny in this land. And you know what? The people trying to bring in this kind of enslavement know it. That's why they want the firearms. And that's why, if I'm telling those people right now, if you want to get them, you better be prepared in every aspect of your soul for the blood that it's going to take to get that accomplished. And that's all I have to say about that. You want to know who I'll leave the last word about disarmament to? I won't leave it to the found, one of the founding fathers Thomas Jefferson, as I said in my original presentation that I gave back in February, I'll leave the last word on that subject to the Supreme Chancellor of the Nazi Third Reich, Adolf Hitler. Let's hear what he had to say about the disarmament of his slaves, of those he wanted to make his slaves. Hitler said, quote, the most foolish mistake we could possibly make meaning, of course, the Nazis, would be to permit the conquered Eastern peoples to have arms. History teaches that all conquerors who have allowed their subject races to carry arms have prepared their own downfall by doing so. So let's not have any native militia. He actually uses the term militia. In this statement, German troops alone will bear bear the sole responsibility for the maintenance of law and order. What a wonderful new world order this man was bringing in. One where all of his subject races would be completely disarmed and at his mercy. We'll be right back, folks. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're continuing with part two of the true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment presentation that I started on the air here last week, and I'm continuing with this week. Let's move on to slide number 37 in the presentation, a slide that I call Gun Control, the Road to Death. 
last couple of slides were called infringement, the road to slavery. Once that has already taken place incrementally, and then we have gun control measures in place, invariably one thing follows, ladies and gentlemen. This is a historical pattern. The people who understand that this happens understand a long view of human history and aren't, aren't wearing blinders when it comes to just recent events. They understand that this is a pattern that can be demonstrated repeatedly throughout history. That result, ladies and gentlemen, is genocide. More specifically, democide, which is murder by government. It's murder of an aspect or a, a contingency of the population that the people in government see as somehow undesirable or unworthy or unfit of life anymore and they need to be exterminated like insects or animals. And sadly, in the last 100 years, directly due to gun control measures being implemented in different states throughout the world, not over 90 million civilians, non-governmental people, have been murdered by governments within the last 100 years alone as a direct result of gun control measures that have been implemented by governments. And you can look at the statistics on the slide that I have posted here, the image on the slide, the chart. This is borrowed from jpfo.org. This is an organization that is one of the best gun rights lobbies in the United States. It is called Jews for the Preservation of Firearms Ownership. And they do the work that they do as a direct result of their understanding of what happened during Nazi Germany and how Hitler began his total conquest of the state of Germany by taking guns away from Jewish citizens first and then ra rapidly, completely increasing the gun control laws over time. You could specifically look up a lot of the wording of the 1938 Nazi gun control laws and you could directly compare them to the gun control laws that were implemented in the United States in the 1960s. They're almost identical, word for word. As a matter of fact, I believe if you go to jpfo.org, you can get the original language in German of the Nazi gun control laws of 1938 and compare them with the 1968, I believe it was, gun control measures implemented in the United States. And the senator who put forth that legislation actually used the language of the Nazi 1938 gun control laws to write the legislation of the 1968 gun control laws implemented in the United States. Took it right from the Nazi playbook. And that's documented on their site. But this chart shows how invariably, as soon as gun control measures are implemented by government, genocide or democide follows. Invariably. The Ottoman Empire, the Soviet Union, Nazi Germany, Maoist China, you know, uh, Guatemala, Uganda, Cambodia under uh, Pol Pot uh, uh, and the Khmer Rouge, um, Rwanda, 
and there's many other examples throughout history. These are this is just in the last 100 years. If you take into account all the people killed by government or the result of government measures, over 270 million people in the last 100 years alone. And that number is rapidly growing. But 90 people as a direct result of gun control measures. And that's probably a conservative estimate. And yet people still think gun control is a good thing. They somehow think government has your best interest in mind and cares about you. Oh, it cares about you, all right. It cares about controlling you and making you a slave by disarming you. And then you have no ability to resist anything they want to implement. So let's uh, leave that at that and move on to the last part of this presentation, which is the reassembly. Again, all of this was, the, the, the first part was called field stripping. We're breaking down the Second Amendment into its constituent components, like you would field strip a rifle or a handgun. Now we're going to reassemble those components, put it all back together, find out what it really, really means. And we'll do that on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. everyone you're listening to what on earth is happening here on rbn continuing tonight with the true meaning and purpose of the second amendment presentation that i started last week on the air and we are getting ready to conclude it with what i call the reassembly putting all of the words and phrases of the second amendment back together after having properly understood them by breaking down each word and phrase in the Second Amendment so that we could truly and deeply understand its meaning and purpose. That's slide number 38. I'm moving on to slide number 39 now. And I explain in this slide that this is a matter of language in the uh, the understanding of the Second Amendment is. And this is because there are uh, differences and in many cases significant differences in the colloquial language, uh, the English usage, the contextual usage of English between late 18th century speaking or parlance and 21st century speaking. And this is something that people generally don't have a firm grasp on and it goes over their heads in many cases. It's, it's unfortunate, too, because the founders really did try to do their best to make 
their ideas as unambiguous and clearly spelled out and as specific in language as possible. And yet, over time, uh, the understanding of the way that they wrote and spoke, you know, gradually gives way and, you know, the, the type of colloquial usage of language that we've developed today uh, takes over and then there's that loss in translation, you might say. So, in this slide, I'm going to read two wordings of the Second Amendment, the way it was actually written, and then how we might write it today if we used almost all the same words. So here's how the Second Amendment was written in late 18th century, the, the late 1700s, parlance. A well-regulated militia, comma, being necessary to the security of a free state, comma, the right of the people to keep and bear arms, comma, shall not be infringed. Now there's some strange comma placement, especially after the word arms and before the phrase shall not be infringed. We probably wouldn't write like that today. Some people even question the kind of grammatical correctness of that. Um, and we don't really break our word, our, our phrases down. We don't arrange our phrases, I should say, in kind of the order that this was done, at least not with like qualifiers, I guess you could say. Um, we wouldn't start the, the sentence in that way today if we were trying to clearly convey necessity. So we would convey the word necessity with since something is necessary, then this must or must not be done. And that's how I'm going to you know, introduce this next wording of the Second Amendment, how we might rewrite it using, again, almost all of the same words, but we might write it in a slightly different parlance today in the 21st century. And here's how it would go. Since a well-regulated militia of the people is necessary to secure freedom, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Now, if we wrote it like that today, there would be much less ambiguity over what this whole statement means and what its purpose is. The clear intention of the militia of the people is necessary to keeping our freedom. And therefore, since the people of that, the militia of the people need to be armed no one should ever be able to infringe upon people's rights to keep and bear arms. This would be much more powerful, of course, if people truly understood what the militia was. And is. That it is all people. So, that's a simple dichotomy there between how their language was used and how our language would be used today. And again, I would start that with the word since because that conveys the necessity of what follows it. Now on the next slide, I'm going to take a little bit of license, you might say, pun intended, or uh, maybe just uh, you know display a little bit of ego here and say, here's maybe how I would have written it back then, if were I alive back then, or how I might rewrite it today. Not that I think it needs rewriting. I think it stands fine just the way it is personally. I think for those who have any kind of a historical understanding of how the founders used this language or what their true intentions were by just reading their um, 
you know, their writings them, themselves. Read it, read it yourself. I, I think that um, it's unambiguous as it stands and doesn't need rewriting, but just as a exercise, were I to rewrite it myself, here's how I would have written it. Since it is true that a militia of the people, which is a decentralized, distributed force of armed individuals comprised of the body of the people who maintain working weaponry and tactics commensurate to a military force, is necessary for and essential to the preservation of a free way of life. The inherent natural rights of people everywhere to own and carry defensive weaponry of any kind shall never be encroached upon so as to limit or undermine those rights. That is the reassembly, ladies and gentlemen. In my words, for what they're worth. Since it is true that a militia of the people, again, the militia is a decentralized, distributed force of armed individuals comprised of the body of the people, of all the people, the whole people, who maintain working weaponry and tactics commensurate to a military force. That's what a well-regulated militia is. Well-regulated means you're maintaining weaponry and tactics, and a militia literally means Strength that is commensurate to a military force without being a military, without being a standing army. Since that body of people, a militia of the people, is necessary for and essential to the preservation, the maintenance of a free way of life, securing freedom, the inherent natural rights of people everywhere under natural law, to own and carry, to keep and bear, Defensive weaponry of any kind, not just firearms, any kind of weaponry, any kind of arms, shall never be encroached upon, infringed, so as to limit or undermine those natural rights. I think were it worded according to something like this, the ambiguity would completely be gone. No one would ever question it. Maybe I'm just being a little bit optimistic there, but because there are really sick, demented people out there in the world who just want to be slaves and love the slavery system that we have. They're just psychopathic people, and then the other kind of people are just totally masochistic and just enjoy slavery because they don't want any personal responsibility because they're self-loathing people. They don't have any self-respect. They hate themselves deep down in their heart, and they want bad things to happen to them. The problem, hey, I have no problem with people being like that. If that's your constitution of a complete milk toast clown, fine, be like that. Here's the problem. Here's where it comes into a problem. Enough people being like that starts to infringe upon my rights and the rights of people who want to be free. And there's where I have a moral problem with that whole ideology of self-loathing, self-detesting, people who want to be slaves. You, in taking that mental attitude, are infringing upon my rights. That is a wrongdoing. You're taking something and taking that position that does not belong to you. Because those rights are not yours to undermine or take away. And that's why I have a big moral problem with that kind of a mental attitude. 
That's why the understanding of freedom is so important. The philosophical foundations and understanding of freedom are so vitally important because they have to do with the affecting of other beings. That's why I've said in the past, there are thoughts that are not rights to have. People think all thoughts are rights, whatever thought it may be. Wrong, folks. You are incorrect if you believe that. There are thoughts that are violence. Make no mistake about it. There are thoughts that are violence just by holding them in your mind. Because if enough people act upon those thoughts, that becomes materialized as real violence in the world. You could call them potential violence. When enough people have thoughts that are completely out of alignment with morality and freedom, then you're going to see that materialize in the physical world according to the first principle of natural law, the principle of mentalism. The universe is mental. Everything that comes into physical manifestation must first exist in mind. And herein lies the problem, folks. The mind must be changed. What we think must be changed in order for the external manifestation to change. And when you think things that are wrong, that are incorrect, eventually it leads to immoral action. That's why the understanding of right versus wrong, of correct versus incorrect, is so important. And that's why people need to be on the right page when it comes to the right of people to, to keep and carry defensive weaponry of any kind. As I started this presentation last two or two weeks ago with the, that the Second Amendment's wording were 27 words that are worth fighting for. I'm moving on to slide number 41 now. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. These are 27 words worth fighting for. Because of what they convey, because of what they mean, because of what they represent, because of the original intent of them and the purpose behind them. But make no mistake about it, folks, they are just words. We cannot make them sacred or put them on such a pedestal or a shrine that we forget that actions must back those words. When tyranny is coming at you hot and completely brainwashed agents of the state are following their orders, just doing their job, listening to the commands of their quote-unquote leaders, their Fuhrer, their chancellor, their chairman, their president. And their intent on harming others and taking away natural inherent rights because they've been commanded to do so. You know what happens with the 27 words of the Second Amendment? They become just words like that, real fast. 
You're not going to be sitting there explaining historical significance or intended purpose when somebody's actually coming for your rights. That's when action is going to be required. And if you're not physically prepared, getting psychologically prepared for that is one thing, but if you're not physically prepared for it, you're going to be up that creek without a paddle, as the saying goes. You're going to be caught with your panties down around your ankles, as that other saying goes. So, my slide number 42 conveys the concept of getting ready and being prepared for eventualities that we all do not want to see, but which very, very well may manifest sadly and unfortunately and let me tell you something folks if you're not at least somewhat prepared in this capacity you better start getting prepared or you're going to be in a bad situation and you're going to have no recourse when tyrants come and want to relocate you or take your rights, your freedom, or your property. And you think that it will be the first time it's happened in human history? Think again. If you have any long historical framework or viewpoint or understanding, you will understand if that does happen to people, there'll be just many in a very, very, very long line that it has happened to in the past. Because we still haven't gotten the lesson. We still haven't gotten it fully. That's why I suggest if we want to avert that potentiality, we start deeply understanding natural law, deeply understanding morality. Again, the firearm is the last recourse. I've said before when I show this slide, I've said a few things that I'll reiterate here. One, you're looking at a totally peaceful, non-violent being in that photo on slide number 42. Who harms none. I want to be left to myself. I think the first and foremost right is the right to be left alone. I don't bother anybody. I don't want anybody to bother me. When I interact with people, I interact with them through reason. And if I want to change their mind, I do it through persuasion. Not violence, not coercion. But you know what? While I've been a teacher for many years on rights and on natural law and on what's going on in this world, most of my energy goes into teaching some of it goes into preparedness and I would absolutely suggest the same for others we'll pick this up on the other side of this break folks you're listening to what on earth is happening we'll be right back you know today destroys a night night divides a day try to run Try to hide Break on through to the other side Break on through 
Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. I'm just about wrapping up my part two of the true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment presentation, which I began here on air a couple of weeks back. Um, this is a short segment. I may do a little bit uh, to complete this on the uh, other side, and then we'll start taking phone calls, but see what I can get through here. We're still on slide number 42, where I was explaining, you know, uh, the idea of being ready, uh, preparing physically for what may occur in this country and possibly in others. And that means owning firearms. That means being responsible with them. That means knowing how to use them. That means knowing how to take them apart, knowing how to clean them, operating them properly, keeping them in good shape, practicing with them, teaching family members and friends. Make it a part of your life. That's basic preparedness. And I think more people need to become involved in it. It is part of the American culture. As I said, in coming weeks on this show, I want to talk about how other nations have allowed themselves to become disarmed and how disgraceful that is and what they might be able to do about it. But just to wrap this up, I want to say, talk about a few things on these last few slides. The first thing is some of the imagery that you see here alongside my photo on slide number 42 with uh, my AK-47 uh, at a local range. You see two flag images. These are images from flags during the Revolutionary War era. One of them, the one on the left with the uh, snake on the yellow background with the words don't tread on me is known as the Gadsden flag after the American patriot Christopher Gadsden from Georgia who was one of the, uh, I believe the commander of the um, Georgia militia, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, who fought in the Revolutionary War. Um, this was a huge symbol during the Revolutionary War period and represented the rattlesnake who s simply wants to be left alone in nature. And when someone won't leave him alone, that's when he strikes. It, it's a concept within natural law, that natural law right of being left alone, of not having someone come at you with coercion. But if they do, you're ready. You are fanged and venomized. And you'll also give them that warning. The rattling of the rattlesnake's tail means beware. Leave me alone. I don't want to harm you, but if you're coming toward me, if you're encroaching upon me, my rights, my life, my territory, my property, then be ready to be struck. And that was the message being conveyed during the American Revolution to the British back then, who came over across an ocean on ships to oppress people at the behest of some psychopathic lunatic boy king. Because he was their leader and they were just following orders. We'll pick this up on the other side in the third hour of the show and then I'm going to be going to your phone calls. I'm going to wrap up these last three slides and then we'll see what listeners out there have to say about the true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to What on Earth is Happening right here on Republic Broadcasting. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Stay with 
Freedom Man. That's what it's all about. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're into the third hour of the show, and I'm getting ready to just wrap up the last part of my true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment presentation here on the air tonight, and then we're going to be going right to your calls. On slide 42, uh, I just broke down some of the imagery uh, of the two flags that are on that page in the circles on both sides of my photo holding one of my firearms. And uh, on the left-hand side, of course, is the Gadsden flag, as it is known after Christopher Gadsden of Georgia. On the, on, on the left-hand side, I'm sorry. On the right-hand side, uh, it is the imagery that is known as the Franklin flag. Uh, Benjamin Franklin originally designed the segmented snake in uh, some of his newsletters, his newspapers, and uh, underneath it, it said join or die. I, I believe the original said unite or die, if I'm not mistaken, but it was um, turned to join or die to uh, try to bring people into um, the actual combat of uh, the Revolutionary War effort uh, against the British. Uh, and, you know, this was a warning either, you know, join the militia, join, you know, the Revolutionary Army and fight back against these tyrannical oppressors who came over at the behest of this psychopathic king to oppress free people uh, or, you know, suffer the consequences. And the concept was people had to come together to fight this tyranny, which was on their doorstep, which was in their midst. And the message could never be more appropriate than in the time that we're living in. And let me tell you something, folks. If we unite, if we join together all of the people who are seemingly separate from all the different places in not only the United States but in the world, and we come together under the common knowledge and the common sense understanding of natural law, of moral law, and we unite under those principles, not a single shot will need to be fired. Not one. If we do not do that, death is going to be visited upon this earth in amounts that are almost inconceivable. And I'm not saying that to fear monger. I'm saying that because that is how natural law consequences work. We're in a big simulation. You might look, even look at it like a video game. You know what the game's called, folks? Truth or consequences. We unite under the truth. We join together under the truth, under common sense, under conscience, under natural law, under morality. And we will experience freedom. We will experience prosperity. We will experience peace and harmony. 
we refuse that truth and we refuse to come together under the banner of truth, there's going to be the exact opposite. Oppression, suffering, warfare, slavery, and death. And don't expect it ever to work any differently. Those are laws that are built into creation itself. These are what these symbols mean to me. Those are my interpretations of what they mean and how we might see them today in the world. I think they're just as appropriate and just as hard-hitting in their message as they were over 200 years ago. The men who made them should be respected and revered. And I think they're the real American flags. Forget the flag of the United States as far as I'm concerned. That's turned into a symbol of oppression and tyranny in my eyes. These are the real flags of this land that we call America. So I just wanted to comment on that symbolism that I chose for that slide there. Let's move on to slide number 43. I said in my original presentation back in February that if it were up to me, maybe I would only add four additional words to the Second Amendment to perfect it. And those words are, come and take it. In the original Greek, Molon Labay, the words uttered by the king and general Leonidas, who fought at the Battle of Thermopylae, against the incoming Persian armies trying to conquer what was Western civilization at that time in Greece. And those Spartans held them at least long enough before they were killed to the last man to bring in some support by other Greek factions to actually get them united because they knew that if they didn't fight, they were going to be conquered and their way of life was going to be completely destroyed. Some people say that this battle preserved the idea of freedom in Western civilization and it would have been completely annihilated had those people not made that sacrifice. However, people want to look at it historically. The words come and take it came out of that because when Leonidas and his men were ordered to surrender their weapons and surrender to the Persian troops, his response was Molan Labay, which meant come and take them if you can. And as I said, they fought until the last man. Of course, this phrase has now been used as a rallying cry for people who wish to preserve gun ownership rights, especially here in America. And this flag is another big symbol in the the gun culture community. Come and take it. I personally prefer the silhouette of the AK. I'm more of an AK guy than I am an AR guy, but hey, you know, we have our preferences. And finally, folks, the last slide, slide number 44. You know, I didn't say anything about, I, I told you what I felt the Gadsden snake meant when in reference to the Gadsden flag itself, but I just want to talk about the symbol of the snake in general. People will look at this, oh, it's the serpent, it's, the, it's a symbol of the devil. It's, Satan's the great serpent. 
Yeah, biblically, that is true. You know, the, the serpent is looked at as, you know, Satan biblically and in religious connotations in many cultures, specifically modern Christian culture. But if you look at the historical underpinnings from this story and connect this with the information that I broke out during my cosmic abandonment presentation, there's an alternative interpretation that goes along with the original serpent story of Eden. And as we talked about briefly in the Cosmic Abandonment series, the brothers, Enlil and Enki, these beings that came here in the ancient past, are attributed by many people to creating humanity and then genetically tinkering with the genetic code of human beings to make them into a slave species. Regardless of what people think of that story, it's the underpinnings of the symbolism that count here as I'm explaining this. Enlil tried to make Enki into the, the, the great devil, the, the adversary to his rule in this story of these two brothers. And that's why he kind of pinned him as the slithering serpent Many feel Enki was the good guy in the story. As I've said, there were no good guys between these brothers because it was Enki's originally plan to create humanity and genetically modify the beings that were already here. As one of the early parts of this story goes, when Enki first set foot on the earth, one of the first animals that he encountered that he had not ever seen before was a snake. And when he saw that, he took sort of a liking to it because, again, as these accounts go, the skin of these beings was somewhat akin to the skin of a snake, which is why many people have associated them with reptiles, with reptilian-like creatures. But their skin simply had an appearance like, you might say, like a human elbow or knee, but all over. That's what their skin just looked like, which is similar to a reptilian hide. So the story goes that when he first encountered the first animal they encountered on an alien world, it was a snake. And then when Enki had sort of a little bit of a change in conscience, when he realized how degraded the beings that these other beings, these other intelligent beings who came here from elsewhere had created on the earth were, how completely violent they had become and the kind of deplorable behaviors that were they were enacting upon each other Enki much much later on more likely you know thousands of years beyond the the, the first time when they when they started doing these genetic manipulations because these beings have an enormous lifespan compared to ours uh, he allegedly had this change in conscience to a point where he wanted to at least try to help educate people according to a higher standards of morality and consciousness. And he formed mystery schools to do this, to try to teach the humans how to really interact with each other and to teach them about the laws of nature and to teach them about, you know, the sciences, etc. And these became the first mystery schools, which then, of course, became corrupted and polluted by people who wanted to take that knowledge and use it for advantage over their fellow beings. That's how dark occultism got started. 
But one of the original secret societies during these times was known as the Brotherhood of the Snake. And it was a brotherhood that came together to try to teach people. Again, they used the snake because this was Enki's symbol back then. And they taught the mystery traditions of consciousness amongst themselves in, in secret because many of these, this knowledge was forbidden by the faction of these beings, the, the quote-unquote Anunnaki, the ones who came down from the heavens, as the name is translated out of the Sumerian. Um, this this brotherhood was considered, you know, uh, illegal. It was considered something that was forbidden. Hence, a secret society had to be maintained. Many of these beings who came here and created us did not want our uplift, did not want people to have this knowledge, which would level the playing field against them while they were still here. So this original society took the symbol of the snake okay and it was about higher consciousness it was about teaching others and it was about protection among those with a like mind this is one of the underpinning reasons that i chose this as the symbol for the background of this entire slide presentation because i think Humanity today needs a new brotherhood of the snake. As strange as that may sound to some, if you understand the story and you know what this original brotherhood represented, and don't get me wrong, let's not leave anybody out. It's not just a brotherhood. We need a new community, a new mystery school, if you will, a new brotherhood and sisterhood of the snake. No one is left out of this, of course. People who understand both the non-aggression principle and the self-defense principle equally and are willing to come together to teach those principles and defend those principles. I think if we create some sort of a new universal worldwide community such as that that teaches natural law principles, I think we might be able to reverse the trend toward despotism and totalitarianism and tyranny that is so prevalent all throughout the world. So I'll conclude this presentation with that notion and with that hope in mind. So that concludes my presentation, the true meaning and purpose of the Second Amendment. I hope people enjoyed it. I hope they got a lot out of it. I hope they will share not only the presentation as I've given it, but you could teach others yourself what the Second Amendment really means, what the founders intended it to be. Spread the word. Talk to people about it. Get involved in firearms ownership. Be a responsible firearms owner. Own the responsibility that comes along with it. Most of all, I think the best thing we could do is teach young people respect for firearms, to teach them the rights that are associated with this to teach them responsibility, the responsibility that is associated with this. And when we do that, we're going to see a, a, a different generation come forward in the future that will understand these principles and really hold them in deep respect and be willing to defend them. So with that, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you'll spread the ideas to others. With that having been said, let's... Uh, 
Start going to the phone lines and see, you know, what people have to say on this topic. I'd like to keep the the topic to the Second Amendment in general, firearms ownership in general, the self-defense principle in general. If people want to go off on different topics, you know, I try not to make any taboo topics on this show or limit what people can talk about. So if you want to go off into other tangents, you can, but I'm going to ask for people to, if they have any comments on this particular topic, to call in tonight and, uh, you know, uh, let's see what you have to say on it. So let's hear from Bobby in Louisiana. Bobby, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Mark, man. Um, I've just recently discovered your work. But, man, I saw your, your piece of work, dude. Uh, um, actually, a lot of stuff I've read on before I've gotten to your work. Um, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, his name is Dr. Norman Livergood. His work is on Hermes Press. It's called The New Enlightenment. And he talks, and his essays talks a lot about the new commonwealth. All that what you've been talking about, because I saw some of your videos. And, um. Uh, give, give me the gentleman's name again. It's, Doc, it's Norman Livergood. He's on Hermes Press. Okay. HermesPress.com. It has some, it, uh, he talks about the new enlightenment. Um, some of his topics go to uh, philosophy over tyranny. Okay. Um, the police state uh, uh, the police state tyranny. Right. Police state USA. Um, what else? About the cabal. Cabal provoked riots. And so forth and so forth. I'll I'll, I'll, def- I'll definitely check out his work. I'm I'm not familiar with it, uh, but uh, I will definitely uh, take your recommendation and check it out. It sounds like uh, I would definitely be interested in it, and uh, I'll look into it for sure. Thanks for the recommendation. Yeah, thank you. Um, I didn't catch all of it because I don't have any access to internet at the moment. Uh, now I'm going through a serious serious transition right now. And uh, my goal transitions and all alike. So, um, you were talking about preparedness. I'm going to tell you something, Mark. You, everybody's not prepared. Me, I mean, I'm getting in the... Bobby, hold on one moment. I'll let you continue on the other side. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on RBN. We're taking your calls for the duration of the show. We were talking to Bobby in Louisiana, and Bobby, you were uh, wrapping up your thoughts, and you were talking about preparedness. I'll let you continue on that. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, as far as preparedness goes, I mean, you have some people like me who ask them, who, who, you know, who has been completely and utterly been crippled by 
all the policies that creates the conditions of, of destitution and poverty. And I've been hit hard by it, man. Um, since online, I've been struggling. And, um, and, and, when you, and when you struggle, it's hard to be prepared. Sure. But, that, that's why but, they want to decimate the country financially as well, because they know that it's very difficult for people to uh, maintain um, you know, things like basic uh, preparedness items and weaponry when they don't have the, uh, the basic uh, necessities for survival on a day-to-day basis, you know, like food and clothing and shelter, etc. Uh, that's one of the big reasons that the uh, extremely wealthy global elitists want people in destitution and poverty without any question. It, it's, right. it's a matter in that kind of a situation to as difficult as it may be to simply, you know, try as much as possible to just put away small, small amounts until you have something that you can part with to, you know, um, get some basics in this regard. Uh, there's, uh, there's a good group here in Philadelphia, uh, that is called survive and thrive. And maybe perhaps there are groups like this in other areas. Maybe you could check meetup.com or something like that, where many people will teach people basic survivalist, um, uh, behavior. You know, they'll teach basic, um, techniques and, uh, mental strategies, psychological strategies, in addition to what items that you can over time procure and put away over time without having to break the budget, so to speak, uh, that you could come out with um, not only a mindset of preparedness, but a small cache of preparedness items that may, may help you. Now I interviewed Fernando Salguero, who was uh, the head of survive and thrive, uh, probably a, a couple years back. And I told him I was going to have him on again in the future to talk about preparedness and survival. We talked about water purification when I brought him on, but maybe at some point in the near future, I'll bring him on to talk about basic uh, survival uh, techniques and items that uh, everybody can uh, do in an affordable way. Um, But even myself, I struggled so much to purchase one of the first, uh, you know, what you might call expensive firearms that I did. And it, it took me several months to save up for it. You know, like I, I, I I'm the, in the same situation as many other people are out there. And, uh, you know, it, it really just takes a kind of a commitment and saying, well, is this important enough to me, uh, to, to go ahead and do even in the light of, you know, that I may not have that many resources to put toward it. So, Bobby, I want to just thank you for your call and say you brought up a lot of good points there that many people do have to take into consideration when they're looking at basic uh, preparedness in this regard. So it's a a good point to make, and I want to thank you for the call. Let's move on to Nathan in Arizona. Nathan, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Welcome. uh, I was at a debate club last week, and I had an argument with a guy about the Second Amendment. Okay. In what aspect? And, what regard? Well, thanks to you, I knew exactly what to say when he brought up the phrase well-regulated and free state. Oh, they love the well-regulated part, don't they? So many people want to insist that that means the government has to be in total control of every aspect. You know? That's the big yeah, argument and, by the statist. And I, and I knew what to say. And 
Now, and he, then he tried to say this, and then National Guard is the militia. Oh, here and we go with that one. That's a huge one. That's a huge one by the so-called revisionists out there, by the leftists out there. Oh, the National Guard is the modern militia. You know, it's just, it's an absolutely ridiculous argument. Uh, the founders repeated over and over and over and over again in their own writings and in, in uh, uh, you know, um, public meetings that they attended when asked who the militia was they said it was the body of the people over and over again unambiguous i know and then he actually took it even further than that he even had the balls to say that there was nothing in the second amendment about individuals having gun rights wow and the right of the people to keep and bear arms that has nothing to do with people's rights i guess Different different language than the English language, I guess, is I what mean, he's you speaking. I can't change the meaning of the word people, right? <laughs> the, the people. You must, have, you must have missed that word. Anyways, this guy was a cop. I oh, can tell well, you, that makes I sense then. Tell. He's a cult member. What do you expect from a religious no, cult member? I could tell because of the I am better than you attitude, and he was trying to laugh at me about everything that I said in response to him, and he, then he even started insinuating that I should be locked in a cage and given an attitude adjustment. Nathan, hold on. I'm going to let you continue on the other side. But here's the thing with people like this, okay? They haven't read one word from the founder's own writings. Not a one. They show their complete ignorance by nonsense like this. Stay with me. I'll let you continue on the other side. Stay with us, everyone. back everyone you're listening to what on earth is happening here on rbn taking your calls for the remainder of the show toll free number to join us 800-313-9443 we were talking to nathan in arizona nathan you were telling me that after you tried to explain what the real meaning and purpose of the second amendment was to this cult member this religious cult member follower uh, he responded to you that you should be thrown in a cage for your agreement with our founders who put this provision in the Bill of Rights. Uh, for your stance on that, you should have your freedom taken away. Isn't that so American? Yeah, it gets worse than that, too. He then went on to say that our attitude would change once we saw how big their machine guns were. And I asked him what he, what the military and police are going to do against the 100 million gun owners, and he told me that he'd just have to take us out one at a time. Yeah. Well, like I said, let them try. They don't even understand what they're going to be up against in this country if they dare to try it. That's that's it. And you could call that you could call that whatever you want. It's not even a threat. It's not even a promise. It's a fact. Is what that is. I- it's a fact. I mean, I'm not going out. I'm going out the fast way. I'm not going to let them take my guns and then torture me for a couple of years 
And You're then, not the only and, one, my friend. You know how many people are with you? Believe me, yeah. more than you know. You can more than any of us know. Or you can be at somebody's mercy for as long as they want. So let, it's a pretty easy choice, if you ask me. Let me tell you something, Nathan. I, I go to some gun shows in some podunk podunk towns you might call them out on the outskirts of you know the, the urban area around southeastern pennsylvania and i'm telling you the amount of people that show up it's like a massive sporting event you might think it was a, a, a philadelphia eagles game the amount of people that come out it's unbelievably encouraging how many people are in the mindset of at least minimal preparedness and at least minimally know a little bit about what's going on. I've had people tell me when I get in conversations with them at gun shows about the tyranny that's going on in America. And I've had the response from many people. We know. Many of the people here know exactly what's going on. And we're getting ready. We may not know as much of you or how it works as well as you do or to the extent that you know, but we know enough to prepare. And I'm telling you that sentiment is omnipresent at these shows. Just just go and put yourself around that culture for a time and you'll see, you know, there are people who aren't at a higher level of consciousness and, and don't really understand it to a full extent, but there's many who do get at least that tyranny is coming, that they're making encroachments on our rights and freedoms, and they are not going to take it laying down. Yeah, if you're not a prepper, then uh, you're going to be found with your pants up around your ankles. That's right. When the time is most important. That's absolutely correct. Nathan, I want to thank you for the call and for the points that you've brought up. Really great sentiments there. And uh, just hang in there because know that you are not alone and know that there are many other uh, American, true American patriots in the true sense of the word, not in the sense that we just follow whatever the nation does from the point that we are go- willing and prepared to defend human freedom at all costs against government tyranny. There are so many of us that are going to stand with people like you and um, they're not going to be able to get this done easily. So thanks so much for the call. Let's hear from Jonathan in Kentucky. Jonathan, you are live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Mark, you know what the difference is between an AR-15 and an AK? What's that? AR-15 is like a prom queen, and an AK is like a biker chick. (laughs) I wholeheartedly agree after having, you know, used both of those platforms. uh, I'd have to say I'm in agreement with that sentiment. (laughs) Yeah, I can't take credit for that. That came from a Spence-NAS operator, uh, Sonny Puzikas. And I knew you were AK guy. Well, I don't want to. Be, I don't want to beat up on the AR too much. Good friends of mine really love that platform, and I, I don't dislike it. I think it's extraordinarily accurate. It's it, it, it's a, it's a it's a nice platform, uh, but I'll, you know, given the choice, I'll take the AK platform any day of the week. Just my personal like preference. You, you're a no nonsense kind of guy, and the AK is a no nonsense kind of weapon. Simple is better in a fight. Yeah, well, uh, I didn't know if you knew that I, I, I like running guns. I run my rifle every Sunday with my group. I'm running right now a PTR-91, or it's pretty much a G3. Okay. And uh, uh, I just want to let you know, I went to a gun show today, too, and I've seen all the five five six ammo that's being bought up, yeah. and you'd think, you know, being a... Uh, there, there's a run I on get, it. There's a panic on it. 
Oh, well, put it this way. All the green tip, green tip thing is is they've made that green tip ammunition for so long for all these wars. They're converting over to a steel core round. So instead of selling it of cost, they're making a big gun scare and getting everybody to buy it up, and they're making right. a profit off of it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I wanted to say, man, your, your reference on the uh, Brotherhood of, of the, the Serpent, really kind of concluded what maybe my thoughts were on, on that Kundalini experience I had, too. It might have uh, might have been something, I guess you could say. And, Interesting. Uh, I, yeah. So yeah, I, I've I, heard what, a few people tell me about their Kundalini experiences. How, how, what occurred during yours, if you don't mind me asking? Um, I had a serpent bite me in my dream coil around my arm, and I was in an open desert. And uh, with the, the venom... Snake bit me and it uncoiled my arm, and the venom surged up through my arm up to my heart. When it hit my heart, I awoken with my hands in front of my face, and I seen the flower of life symbol in my face. And it, as soon as it was aware of me, and I was aware of it, it disappeared. And my lamp fell over, all the power shut off my house, and I heard a thousand knocks underneath my bed and on my roof and all, all moving very my interesting so this was more like a visionary experience than something you may have encountered or experienced during something like a meditative experience oh no no now i will say i, I do dabble with dmt mm-hmm. um and i use it for ritual purposes i burn sage and i tell people you gotta let go of all your pride and ego and angst and uh it's a teacher plant but i would it wasn't anything like that because it wow. was months afterwards and it was very powerful but we got to run some steel sometime, man. <laughs> I, I would love I'm it. We, uh, we got to, uh, I, I know I've been to Iraq and, you know, I, I, you know, I've learned something over there and I look at these cops, dude, and some of them have this smug attitude and I just look at them and I think to myself, I am just one man and you don't even know what kind of hell I could unleash on you. See, Jonathan, the, the, the thing is, I'm going to read some information about the fear of rebellion and the fear of revolution that a lot of people have next week on the air. And uh, possibly I'll even read some of the writings of Thomas Paine in uh, the next week or two. Uh, Because he talked a lot about how um, one patriot during the Revolutionary War era, one person of the militia, one a person who really was supporting and defending freedom, would be worth a hundred Tories or a hundred supporters of the state. And that's the thing people have to understand is our numbers are going to be so much more powerful because people who will physically defend their freedom are going to fight like a hundred men because they have something worth fighting for. They're not just fighting for hierarchy and following orders. They're fighting for something that truly means something deep inside their mind and heart. And when they fight for that, when they fight for that truth, they're going to take on the strength of a hundred men. And I couldn't say it any better myself, man. All the people who are supporting this tyranny, they better understand that before they enter into this lightly. And they're Borg. I mean, really, uh, you know, if you want to do a tracky thing, they they really are, man. And it's going to be to a point where this dark elite and whoever their conduits are, we're going to go down swinging, and instead of us passively being able to unite, not passive, but I would say assertively unite, right. and not fire around, it's not going to happen. They want to have the angst and, and anger and struggle and suffering 
so that they can feed on it to the last minute before their, their dark flame is extinguished. Jonathan, I will say this. More so than not, I tend to agree with that analysis. I wish it were not that way, and I really want to try to avert it coming to that. I don't know if we are going to be able to do that. I think it can be done if the human will is summoned to do that work. But um, I tend to more agree with your analysis on the way it may go. I hope for all of our sakes that both of us are wrong on that, though. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for the call. Phenomenal points that you brought up. Thanks so much for calling in. Let's hear from Raphael in Indiana. Raphael, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome. Hi, Mark. Uh, Great to speak to you again. Absolutely. Welcome back. Um, I just have a a few comments, if I may. Sure, go right ahead. Um, I just want to comment on how I love and how you've said in the past, um, basically uh, called all people and said that you don't care if they need to starve to buy a gun, and and that's all important, uh, you know, a firearm is for protection. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say starve yourself to do it. I mean, if I said that, it may be a little bit on the extreme side, but there's ways of saving up slowly, incrementally, and there's even time to do that now, I believe. Uh, like I said, I mean, the first good firearm I purchased, I had to save for several months to, to save up enough for that because... You know, uh, I just was in a kind of a bad time financially, and it took a while to do that, but I did it anyway. And I just literally, I said, hey, uh, I'm going to put 10 or $20 aside each week. You know, and you just do what you can. That's what it had to come to for me to, you know, I'm in a slightly better situation than that now, not drastically, but, you know, uh, I did what was necessary to do because I'm not going to get caught unprepared. And that, that's all it comes down to. It's You have to summon the will to do it. So I, I totally agree. And another thing, too, is uh, people, I guess, don't let alone understand um, the Second Amendment, let alone natural law. Right. Um, but there, there's a, a, a B-movie that I, I saw not so long ago, Mark. It's called uh, Goodbye World. I don't know if you've seen that movie before. It um, sounds familiar. I'm not certain, though. It's, it's basically the premises where, it, I guess, technology is brought to its knees and, and people are pretty much brought to the reliance of a survivalist and how it basically revolves around a group of people and, and the meanings of uh, how to basically uh, survivaling surviving and um it it's you know it, it has its uh, subtle angles that are irrelevant but i there's a there's a the premise of the movie is basically it's hey, t- it, tell me the, the title of it one more time i just want to write it down i'll, I'll check it out a uh, goodbye world okay all right continue and and it just uh there's a i think one of the best parts in the movie is um and i don't want to give everything away but it's just basically uh, one of the somebody from the group they they quote the third, and then later on they quote the Fourth Amendment. Okay. Um, and, and I guess in response of being encroached by these um, outsiders. And I think that's basically a premise of, I guess, not only your Second Amendment that you're covering, but most people don't even know, let alone the natural law rights, no, let alone the, the Bill of Rights. They even right. know what what, how, what it means when, when, it, when, I guess, crap hits the fan, so to speak. And uh, it's a pretty good movie, you know. Okay, I'll definitely check it out on, on your recommendation. And, and one other thing also, too, I, I sent sure. you an email, I don't know if you got it, but um, there was a video that's uh, pretty uh, relevant to what you're covering now. It's, it's a YouTube video, it's called uh, 
guns with history. And it was a social experiment that was done. It's, it's a, used to be, I think it just popped up not too long ago. But um, they set up the shop in New York where they're selling these guns and all these um, customers not knowing they come in and when they were asking inquire about the firearms, instead of telling them, you know, the actual history or uh, what uh, nature of the firearm is, they start giving the history of how it was used to kill, uh, quote unquote, um, you know, somebody, uh, a son murdered their parents or this gun was used in the Columbine and you see the people's reactions and it's totally obfuscation of the Second Amendment and, and the wow. actual use of firearms. Wow. So this is like a uh, uh, anti-gun propaganda right. documentary. Wow. Right. I'll have to check that out. How you should basically think about buying. I forgot what the what the verbiage is on the on the video, but it's basically totally contradicts of what you're trying to promote. And I thought it was pretty. Uh, yeah, that's part of that. People see that. That's part of that cultural programming. You know, that social engineering that they have to do to change the mindset of people to get them to lay down their freedom without a battle. You know, without a struggle. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, you know, it's pretty pretty. Uh, if people aren't aware, it's just uh, the attack that people are getting subversively through all um, facets of society. It's, 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 you know, it's relentless. And that's why we have to do our best to educate our fellow man according to these principles to help them to understand not only the, uh, the sacred feminine non-aggression principle, but also that sacred masculine self-defense principle. They, they have to go hand in hand and the understanding of them have to go hand in hand. Raphael, I want to thank you so much for your call. Always great points that you bring up. Thanks so much. Let's hear from Jeff in Cambodia. Jeff, you're live on What on Earth Has Happened. I think you're the first caller I've ever had from Cambodia, and you are calling from a place that has experienced the direct result of what happens when people are disarmed of their firearms. Jeff, you're live on the air. Yeah, Mark, when you mentioned uh, when you mentioned Pol Pot, of course, I just last week went to the museum up in Phnom Penh, um, seeing the results of what happens when you've got an unarmed populace, an unarmed people, uh, you know, a peaceful populace that is very well educated, um, but they didn't have the wherewithal to fight back. And uh, um, to say that, you know, you can find it on YouTube and videos of it, but to say that uh, it was a horrifying experience uh, would be a massive understatement. He took it to such an extreme extent that he was executing anybody that he continu- he considered to be an intellectual person because he felt that the actual intelligence of other people would be a threat to the rulership of his party. That is you know, the extent that the communists there went to, you know, act- actually, actually killing Anybody that he felt had some decent intelligence because that could eventually lead to the overthrow of his his regime. Yeah, and he, uh, the, by the look of the guy, if you look at the interviews by the American who uh, interviewed Pol Pot over there, the guy, you almost want to believe the guy. The guy looked like a grandfather, and he... I don't even know that the guy knew that he did it. I mean, wow. it, it, it just—it does make you think about the mind control aspect. Sure. Jeff, hold on through this break. I'll let you finish up on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Stay with us. 
don't dare speak There's a wall between us And a river so deep We keep pretending That there's nothing wrong There's a code of silence And it can't go on Welcome back, everyone. Final segment for this edition of What on Earth is Happening this evening. We were talking to Jeff in Cambodia, a place where government democide happened in the past as a direct result of gun control measures that were implemented. Jeff, I'll let you wrap up your thoughts. Jeff, well, we, we lost him. Sorry, um, about sorry about that. We, it looks like we lost lost Jeff. Jeff, if you can call in quickly, I'll bring you back up. Let's move on to Rahul in Washington. Rahul, you're live on What on Earth is Happening. Welcome to the show. Hello, Mark. Uh, excellent show. Uh, Thank you. Glad to talk to you again. Um, so um, in regards to your topic tonight, um, I became uh, a gun owner about, I would say, almost two years ago now. Okay. And it was in response to the um, Edward Snowden, uh, the Edward Snowden leak, basically, and it it was like a catalyst for me because I've pretty much always thought about becoming a gun owner, and I've always um, I've always known the value of the Second Amendment, but it, and I've kind of been in the conspiracy world for for a while, but right. it wasn't until that moment. When the government, you know, I, I don't know if Snowden is a, a legit guy or if he's just an actor, but the government basically letting everyone know we're spying on you. Coming right that, out in the open with you know, that, yes. Yeah, in a way that um, the Germans or the Russians uh, couldn't even have dreamed of, you know, with the internet and sure. cell phones and everything. And so that was my catalyst for um, becoming a firearm owner. And um, I've been carrying 100% of the time, uh, 24 hours a day, unless, you know, almost 24 hours a day. When I go to sleep, I disarm myself and I put it on my nightstand. But um, I basically carry inside my home. And one thing I noticed is, um, this is before I discovered occultism and I discovered, uh, you know, true spirituality and hermeticism. Right. uh, So, but one thing I noticed is when I became a firearm owner and I started carrying and I'm out in public and I'm interacting with people is it really transforms the um, beast consciousness within oneself very quickly because any type of unchecked anger could cause you to take someone's life. You have the power over life and death. Uh, So so, you find, as do I, that it actually quite settles that aspect down within your being. Yes, definitely. It, it, I agree. It really started a uh, spiritual transformation for me in that um, after becoming a gun owner, I completely became non-confrontational. And my level of empathy towards other people, I mean, it was like, it's like a complete difference night and day because the consequences of your interaction right. with other people is out of, you know, the stakes are much higher when That's you're right. armed. Rahul, brilliant points. We're out of time, but the final point here is if everybody were armed, we'd have a much more polite society, ladies and gentlemen. 
That's all it ultimately comes down to. It's not only the great leveler of the playing field, so to speak. It makes for a much more civilized interaction between beings. As they say, the gun is civilization. Ladies and gentlemen, that's all the time we have for this edition of What on Earth is Happening. Remember, there's only two mistakes you could ever make on the path to truth. Not starting and not going all the way. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you right here next week.